0: O Lord, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that we may be prepared for your coming. Amen. All right, well, let's start off with a little Q&A. It's an important question, one of eternal salvation, perhaps. Have you decorated yet for Christmas? (laughs) You see... Uh, those who are long-standing Anglicans, cradle Anglicans, will find that funny because it's often the case that they think, shame on you for decorating too early. Don't you know this is Advent? We can't forget Advent. You don't decorate until, I don't know, what is it, 1201 on Christmas Eve? I'm not sure. Well, it depends on the person. But it's not actually a point of salvation, obviously. But it is a reminder that Advent is a time of preparation. And so if you have decorated, feel okay. You're just preparing for the coming of the king. That's great. Awesome. So, we prepare for the coming of the king this season. I uh, lived in a kingdom once. And this is my little idea of what a king kingdom looks like, what it looks like to live under a king. It was in Morocco And the king would come to town and they would decorate for him. Flags would pop up, flowers would be planted, citizens would come out and fill the streets and wave flags and wave as he drove past. And as he drove past, probably on his way to the doctor or the grocery store, I'm not sure, but as he drove past, the flowers would come up and go to the next place that he was going to be. His coming was a fleeting, quick pass-through, but the coming of the kingdom that we celebrate today is an eternal kingdom. It is one that we must prepare our hearts and our lives, not just with flowers that fade, but with eternal things. Our homes need to be ready for the coming Messiah, not just the homes that we live in, but the homes in our hearts. Christmas means that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of Israel is coming and he has already come. In fact, we will say in a few minutes, Christ has come and Christ will come again. And so Advent answers the somewhat awkward question that many Christians have. I love Silent Night. I love O Holy Night. But what does a baby 2,000 years ago, a poor man being laid in straw, have to do with me? How in the world does that change my life? Why are we celebrating something that was gone, something of yesteryear? Well, if Christ is coming back, then as we look back at Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago, we also look forward to his next coming. We look through the Christmas season from Advent into Easter when Jesus' hands were eternally scarred on the cross. We look through Easter to ascension, when Jesus rose to heaven and was seated at the right hand of God, where he sits now in session as the high king, ruling the universe, telling gravity how fast to fall, telling our particles how fast to vibrate, and telling us how to live our lives. We look through ascension then to the next advent, to the return of the high king of heaven. And we look also inwardly at our lives and we ask ourselves, am I ready for him to come again? Because when he comes again, he will come with power and with judgment. See, Christians are all citizens of a coming kingdom. And that kingdom has certain requirements of us. And so are you ready for Christ to come again? Are you preparing your hearts? The gospel this morning warns us, do not be found asleep. But how do we stay awake? How do we prepare for this second coming? Surely we don't plant flowers in our yards and put up Christmas trees and think that's all that we do to prepare for Christ's coming. No. No. Every Sunday, in fact, every day in the daily office, we confess three things that help us to prepare. They are meant not only to be something we do in private or in worship, but that we do throughout our lives. We confess the creed, we say the Lord's Prayer, and we remember the Ten Commandments. These three are meant to draw our attention to our minds, that's the creed, to our hearts, that's the prayer. And to our hands. That's the Ten Commandments. The Creed. The Creed is meant to give us a right mind, to look with eternal eyes at the world around us, and to see that world through the mind of Christ. We believe that this world was created, it didn't just pop up, but it was created by the one Almighty God who gave it its laws, its laws of physics. And his laws of relationship. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. That this world, though it seems like it is fading away. It will fade. But it will be renewed. And redemption will come. And we believe that we will physically be with God after the resurrection. As we prayed this morning that our mortal lives will give way to an immortal life. And we believe in Judgment Day. But the creed is not just a mental exercise. It's not just an intellectual assent. It's not just think harder about God. Rather, it is a knowing, a personal knowledge, a biblical knowing, an intimate knowing, knowing the one who is closer to us than our skin, For we believe that God became incarnate. He came here and he dwelled among us. And when we take communion, we celebrate communing with him, eating dinner with him, that he dwelled with us and that he inspires us still in his Holy Spirit. And afterwards, we will say that he is in us and we are in him. That's the creed, a right mind. The Lord's prayer is next, and that is to give us a right heart. We turn our lives from being turned inward, iniquity, as Augustine said, and instead we turn it outward, aligning our will with the will of God the Father. This is the Lord's prayer. It is about biblical authority. It's about submitting to those God has put over you. Whether parents, children, or priests, bishops, presidents, kings. God has put people in authority over us. And in fact, we sit under the authority of his word. It is about submission, about giving our will over to God, our desires over to him. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, not my kingdom of one. Thy will be done, not my will that is fleeting and fickle. And the on earth of this prayer is meant to give us is meant to start with us. Thy will be done in me, in my life, through my life in the world. The fundamental question here is, as you pray, will you submit? Will you submit to God? Will you submit to those God has placed in authority over you? All of this then is directed toward God and it is directed toward God in hope and in gratitude for he has given us our daily bread. It is hope for he has forgiven us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We hope for God's coming kingdom when we say the Lord's Prayer and we are grateful for the work that he has begun in us. The goal of this coming kingdom, then, is fellowship with God. That's what we learn from the prayer. That God will not just come and be out there somewhere, but that he will dwell with you face to face. And we can practice that fellowship with God here and now through prayer and fasting. The fruit of God's presence is Sabbath rest. It is complete peace. And so we've had our head. We ask the Holy Spirit to drop what's in our head to our hearts. And we ask the Holy Spirit to inspire our hearts to move our hands and our feet. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments show us that we should act with eternally wounded hands of Christ. For the law of the land here is self-sacrifice. As Christ stretched out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace, so we must reach forth our hands in love to bring those who do not know him to the knowledge and love of him. That's one of the prayers for mission that we pray in the daily office we confess as citizens of the coming kingdom that the law of this eternal land is death to self. Not my will be done, thy will be done, right? Not love me, love my neighbor. We must, however, first trust in the work of Christ before we can ever seek to imitate his work in the world. We must first know Christ crucified, Christ our Savior, Christ our Lord, before we can ever hope to do His will. We must first know the Christ before we can ever trust Him. We must first submit to God before we can approach Him in His throne. And so we approach this season in fasting and prayer that we would come to know Christ crucified and Christ risen. As Christ's kingdom comes again, we begin the Advent season looking inwardly, asking ourselves the hard question, have I given my life this year, this day, my will over to Jesus? Am I ready for the coming of the King? See, every Sunday we confess the creed, we pray the prayer, we remember the law of the land, and in doing so we are faced with a mirror. A mirror that shows that we are actually rebel citizens. We fail to live according to the law. We fail to love our neighbors and our God. We fail to know Christ as Christ crucified. We fail to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. In fact, it is a very tall order. So we fast and we pray. In Isaiah this morning we read about the day of the Lord coming and we read those chilling words that all of our attempts at righteousness are filth. We are as those who are unclean, like the leper from last week. We are not worthy to come into the temple of God, which means we are not worthy to enter that eternal city. Friends, as we look at our hearts, if we are honest if we approach it with fear and trembling, we will see that we must fast and pray and prepare our hearts. But there's more. The king of Morocco one day came to the town I lived in and he saw a neighborhood that he didn't like. It was dilapidated, it was ugly, it was dirty. And so he told those people, get up and move. And you know what they did? They got up and moved. Because he owns that land. And when the king says, I own this land, get off it, you get off it. Well, he was kind and he gave them a new house to live in. He tore down those dilapidated houses and he put up new ones. But this is the kind of authority that Jesus should have over your life. He should uh, have this kind of authority, but we must let him. We must let him invade the parts of our hearts that we hold back from him. We must let him tear down the houses that are becoming dilapidated in our souls. Those uninhabitable parts of our lives that we keep darkened from the light. Expose it. And that is the fourth thing that we confess. We confess our sins before God Almighty. And we hear the absolution that the priest professes over us, that we now may enter through the gates of heaven and come before his throne and commune with God. For our sins have been laid bare before the only one who has the power to destroy both body and soul, and he has said, Not guilty for those who are found in him. This is the kind of authority that we look for, that we hope for. As we look forward to Christ's coming, we are comforted by Peter's words, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, because he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus has gone to the Father to prepare a place for you, That though we may look like rebel citizens in this mirror, we are being made new through his death, resurrection, and inspiration. That though we fail to live out the commandments of God, in fact, those commandments are now being written on our very hearts. Though we were once sinners, we have been called children of the High King. And now we can come before him praying, Father, our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life. O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay. You are our potter, and we are the work of your hands. Come and mold us. My friend, one last point. The point of Advent is this that God wants to be your friend, that 2,000 years ago he became incarnate to dwell among us. And when his time comes, he will come again to dwell with you as your friend and savior and king, to invite you into his throne room and to be your friend. Let us come before his throne this morning. Amen.